Condors. Condors are on the verge of extinction. If oh, I wish no. to no no, if I wish to create a flock of condors on this island, you wouldn't have anything to say. No, hold on. This isn't this is some species that was obliterated by deforestation or or the building of a dam. Dinosaurs uh, uh, had their shot and nature selected them for extinction. I simply don't understand this Luddite attitude, especially from a scientist. I mean, how can we stand in the light of discovery and, and not act? Oh, what's so great about discovery? It's a violent, penetrative act that scars what it explores, what you call discovery. I call the rape of the natural world. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. I guess it is recording. All right, whatever. It didn't. It's not doing the beepy thing anymore, so I don't know. Hey, look, we're back again, folks! Yay! <laughs> Just, much caffeine. We've been we've been gone for well. You haven't been gone for as long as me. You've been gone. You you were just here for the last episode. You did your own little thing, and they actually you recorded two episodes. You recorded one with Shelley, and you recorded uh, the one with the guys from Travel Oddities. Um, and then me and you yeah. both went on. Where did the road go? And I was just hitting burnout because I had so much crap going on around here. I need to take a break from the show. But it was nice because, like, I love editing. So when you're like, I'm recording two shows, I was like, cool, this is great because that's like that's my chill time, you know. Anyways, we're back for now. And uh, we're already having computer issues. And uh... <laughs> There's no show tonight. We just came on to talk about stupid shit. Well, we're supposed to have Red Pill Junkie on tonight. Uh, Red Pill Junkie writes for Mysterious Universe, The Daily Grail. He's been on pretty much every show out there he's been on greg bishop's show he's been on um on where did the road go he's been on been all of america you know we i've known the guy for probably i've known the guy for at least three years probably longer than that through the internet i met him uh, down in texas at the first paramania so I was like, you know what? We, we just need to get you on. However, he messaged me on Skype saying, ready when you are. And that was about 10 minutes ago. And then your Skype crashed. And then I rebooted my system. Just as I was telling you a story about how I'm all idled out on sugar tonight because we went out for my birthday Ooh. dinner. And I was about to say that I ate this giant cream puff that was covered in hot fudge. So oh, now I'm worried. Great. And to awesome. make things even better, um, because a few people on the Facebook page posted. It's all Aaron's fault. Was it Aaron that posted those? I think Aaron's the one who brought it up. She, Maybe it was Andrew. I was uh, sorry, guys. If you're listening, I don't remember which one of you guys it was, and I apologize. I blame the sugar. But they posted the picture of the new Oreos: the cherry cola, the kettle corn, and the pina colada. I was unable to find the pina colada ones up in my area of Detroit. And uh, oh, wait, hold on a minute. Hold on, Red Pill. I know you can't hear me, but <laughs> one sec. Recording. Hey, okay, we're we're doing meta here, so just hold on here, people. You're gonna have to use. <laughs> Anyways, um, so we went and both got these Oreos, and we're going to eat them on the air. Uh, and uh, we're going to see how they taste. One sec, recording intro. Hope they don't okay. taste like ass. Oh, they will taste like ass. Absolutely, they will. Dude, Let's... what are you fucking do? Why? They will. Dude, what if they're delicious? Well, they might be. But, uh, dude, cherry cola Oreos and cattle corn. Which one do you want to try first? Because we're going to eat these live on the air here. So... Uh... <laughs> Cherry cola's got to be last, because if the other ones taste like absolute ass... Well, you go ahead and eat your pina colada ones, because I haven't got the pina colada ones. So you go ahead and do that one on your own. I know they're smaller. Yeah, go ahead. I'm a little... Yeah, dude, they only come in thins. 
Yeah, the pina colada ones. I'm a little bummed by the size of the package. I feel like it's like they're they're moving to Girl Scout cookie proportion levels here. Dude, they do this now for the kickoffs. If they're no, if they're not, dude, these are anemic looking. And Red Pill's telling me, can I be wow. absent for two minutes? I'm like, sure, go ahead. <laughs> so you're going to eat the uh, pina colada one now, huh? If you like pina colada, getting caught in the rain. What's the verdict? How do they taste? Are they an orgasm in your mouth? Are they, are they excited? These are so good. <laughs> These are so fucking good. <laughs> Dude, All right. I'm thoroughly disappointed that they're this good. <laughs> you're I wanted them to be terrible, dude. <laughs> dude, I'm on a diet. Okay, well, we got two more ones to try here. So, which one do you want to go I to next? Well, do you want to cleanse your palate? Do you have something to drink there? Water or yeah, anything? Water. All right, cleanse your palate. Are we going to go to the kettle corn or are we going to do the cherry cola? Kettle, kettle corn? All right, we'll do kettle corn. Okay, let's see here. Now, these say. With puffed millet pieces. What is a puffed oh, millet dude, piece? No. No. Yes. Oh, dude, that's going to be terrible. They do smell like kettle corn. They do. Dude, millet is, uh, actually, millet is used as a bird food. Oh, great. Outstanding. <laughs> Let me know when you're going to shove this thing in your mouth. Oh, this looks horrendous. <laughs> that's dude, a phrase I never thought stinks. I would utter to you. They smell it's like kettle corn. Thanks. Dude, I hate kettle corn. Then why did you agree to do this? For science? I, I, I make bad decisions. <laughs> All right, ready? Yeah, ready. Here we go. All right. Mm. Um. They taste like cereal. Why? They taste just like honey smacks. They do. They taste like honey smacks or Dude, what's the... Why? Um, no, I wanted these to be bad, too. <laughs> Come on! I'm sure the cherry cola ones will be. Okay. They do. They taste good. They don't taste like kettle corn, but they do. They taste like cereal. Like, um... Dude, they taste like honey smacks. What's the golden nugget cereals that they make? They, Ooh, they Yeah, they honeycomb? look like... No, not honeycomb. They're... I don't know, God, I can't remember what the hell they're called now. Somebody out there's listening going, Oh, I know what you're talking about. They like little they're like little yellow nuggets. They look like corn, like sweetened corn, like giant puffs. I don't know, whatever mind. Dude, it's honey smacks. No, honey smacks is the frog, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, they do kind of taste. Yeah, yeah. All right. Let's try the ones that are the bad ones. Hold on, let me rinse my mouth out. Let me cleanse my palate. Oh, bad. <laughs> They do have like a malty flavor to them, though. The birthday cake ones are phenomenal. Have you tried the birthday cake Oreos? Don't talk about the birthday cake ones. Why? What's the matter? Because I killed an entire package alone. Yeah. 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 The cookies of shame. All right. Do you have the cherry cola ones now? All right. There Ugh. we go. Now, these have pop rocks. Dude, they're red and... Dude these smell like. They, Dude, smell, they like... smell like cherry bubble gum, cola yeah. bubble gum. With popping candy. Cherry cola Oreo with popping candy. Um, again, All the right. smaller size package. Are you ready? Yep. They Hold on. They look like little yin-yangs on the inside, too. Red and white yeah, yin Yeah, they do. Okay, here we go. Yep. Right, here we go. Um, they don't taste Mother like ass. Motherfucker! 
they're not great, but they're not bad. And they're popping now. I can... Hear that? Yeah. As I deep throat the microphone. Hmm. This is nice. It's different. I'm not sure if I like a popping cookie, though. No, dude, they could do away with the popping bullshit. Yeah, I'm gonna be doing it. I'm gonna be doing this interview with pops coming out of my mouth now. Ah, eh, they're okay. They're not as good as the kettle corn in my no, opinion. No, dude. Hands down, pina colada tastes the best. Which is the one that I could not get. Ah, uh, you yeah. suck. You know, I guess I should be glad that marijuana is not legal right now. What's my excuse then? Well, I can't, I can't help have it. it ever. Yeah, I know that, but that's your own fault. You know what? Realistically, when marijuana becomes legal, I probably won't be imbibing in it anyways. I've never been a pot guy, but I'll bet when marijuana becomes legal, they'll make marijuana Oreos, <laughs> which is Dude, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Burnouts that'll eat that up like no tomorrow. All right. You want to add a red pill in here? Dude, the first time I ever smoked pot, I ate an entire ream of Oreos. All right. Well, let's pause it and then we'll add red pill in. And so we'll, we'll be right back in a second, guys. <clears throat> Wow, these, these damn kettle corn are good. So, okay, we finally have Red Pill Junkie on the show with us. Um, Red Pill, I've known you... Like, actually known you, I think, really known you for about two years. I first met you down at Paramania down in Texas a couple of years ago. And my best standing recollection memory of you down there with me was when I finally got you to try Not Your Father's Root Beer, which you drank, damn near spit out, looked at me and said, this shit tastes like cough syrup. <laughs> do, do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I actually do. <laughs> <laughs> and from there it was you and Tim talking about some stripper called Honey Baby or something like that that you'd hung out with at the night before at the strip club. Yes, I do remember these things. So um, I've been with you on Where the Road Go numerous times. You've been on Greg Bishop's show. You've been pretty much everywhere. You write for the Daily Grail and you also write for Mysterious Universe. You cover a wide variety of strange and unusual. And uh, I remember... Three or four years ago, I said, hey, will you come on the show? And you're like, I can't come on your show. My English is horrible. And then when I finally did meet you, I'm like, wow, you speak pretty good English. You speak better English than I do half the time. So <laughs> it's now, accurate to fill your end. What we were what we were doing when you were bugging me is they have come out with three new flavors of Oreos. They have come out with kettle corn, cherry cola Oreos, and they've come out with pina colada ones. I couldn't get the pina colada ones, but we both got the kettle corn and the cherry Oreo, the cherry cola Oreo. In retrospect, I'm beginning to think that the cherry cola Oreo tastes like ass as they yep. permeate <laughs> my mouth a little bit more. Um, but I do recommend if you have the kettle corn ones down there, try them. They have uh, puffed millet pieces in them. So. <laughs> get the pina colada. Welcome to Project Archivist, sir. How are you? <laughs> this pro program is brought to you by... Oreo. Oreo. See, most yeah. people invite you on their shows to talk about the paranormal and the strange. No, we bring you on from Mexico to talk about Oreo cookies <laughs> and not your father's Yes, uh, I'm afraid that we don't have those kinds of uh, varieties when it comes to Oreos. We just get the uh, regular... I'll say one thing. I w I've been down to Hermosillo and I've been to Quanalan, just outside of Mexico City. 
And mm-hmm. um, I went to one of your Walmarts down there, and you guys have an amazingly incredible selection of ramen noodles, ramen cup noodles, in far mm. more varieties of flavors than I've ever seen up here, short of going to an Asian food store. And what surprised me is there's like 90 million Latino people down there. I don't know. Should I say Mexican, Latino? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not trying to be rude or impolitically correct. But anyways, and mm-hmm. uh, there's like... 900,000 Oriental people. <laughs> I was amazed by the amount of Oriental people that are in your country as well. And it wasn't something that I was expecting. I walked up to this one. There is a, we went to a mall and there was food kiosks and one of them was an Asian food one. And not okay. thinking, I was like, well, this person's Asian. So obviously they must be able to speak English. And I walked up and tried to order something and the gentleman only spoke uh, Chinese and Spanish. And it, it just me stupid american it boggled my mind i'm like why can't this guy speak english he's asian (laughs) (laughs) dumb american dumb american absolutely absolutely so you know since then our people now want to build a wall blah 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 you know because you're letting bad creatures in you're letting in chupacabras you're letting in mummies some of them not all of them some of them aren't bad you got ufos coming over the border okay i'll quit i'll stop I'll stop. And this is where the phone that, call that'd ends. Be nice. <laughs> yes. And these re- being recorded at Cinco de Mayo, nonetheless. No it is. You're right. Today is yes. Cinco de Mayo. What's I'll the most here to Puebla? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wait. it's a, it's a uh, the commemoration of this battle happened. I think it, uh, 1865 or something. You know, first first and only time that we managed to kick somebody else's ass. You know, you beat so the that's French. why. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> The French, who at that time were like the top dog, right? Oh yeah, they were tough. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you guys actually celebrate it down there, like like we do? For up here in America, it's like Cinco de Mayo, go eat tacos, and all the Mexican restaurants yeah. like serve margaritas, and you know they put up big tents and people hang out and go to Cinco de Mayo. Nobody really here understands what Cinco de Mayo really is. They just know it's a day to go get drunk and on margaritas and eat tacos. Oh, oh don't say nobody. <laughs> the, well, don't say nobody the Freaking average the, American <laughs> yeah the knuckle dragging troglodytes are the ones that don't understand history We let's get that clear we so have do, one in power right now do do they really celebrate it that way down there or do you guys just kind of shrug your shoulders and go mad like, like, like they do with St. Patrick's Day over in Ireland something like that you know because uh, most Americans uh, believe that Cinco de Mayo is when we in Mexico celebrate our independence which is not actually true. Like we celebrate it on September. Yep. Uh, yeah, Cinco de Mayo is kind of like a minor historical date. You know, it's cool because uh, it's a it's a holiday, so that means you know you 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 don't you skip work. Uh, but it's just that you know. I mean, uh, there in Puebla, which where the battle actually took place, they do have a, a military military parade and such but it's as a mexican living in mexico it is interesting to me to see how cinco de mayo has evolved in the united states so uh, in such a big way you know and, and and let me tell you i don't mind at all i i uh, i've i've read tweets uh, of people complaining that you know uh, Americans get to wear sombreros or ponchos or cultural or, you know, appropriation. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it's like you know what? I don't, I, I don't think that's something that we Mexicans care that much about. And let me give you uh, one, two 
main reasons why this is so. What one is that whenever there is this really big foreign dignitary coming to Mexico, you know, the the very first thing that happens when she, uh, he or she walks out of the plane is somebody hands them a sombrero, oh, and everybody's expecting them to wear the sombrero, you know, and they have to wear it, and, and everybody cheers, and everybody, everywhere they go, somebody gives them a sombrero. Okay. You know, so it's kind of weird. And the other thing <laughs> it's is... Kinda like, for, <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's our custom, but it's kind of weird. <laughs> it's our, <laughs> <laughs> I don't we know, know it's it, weird it but you're here so you have like, to yeah. do it <laughs> yeah it's my it's maybe kind of like saying you know we are you're in our land you know this is you know this is our custom you know mm -hmm. so we'll yeah. be offended whereas in our country you come here the first thing we do is put a beer in your hand and take you to the strip club but <laughs> exactly exactly because yeah, we're classy bitches that's why <laughs> <laughs> yeah here's the other thing i mean uh like uh, Mexican music, the most uh, famous type of Mexican music is obviously mariachi music, right? Uh-huh. Do you, do you know the actual uh, origin of the word mariachi? No, I don't. I do know that one of my favorite bands is called Metalachi, and they play heavy metal music in mariachi oh style. Okay, well, mariachi actually comes from the French word mariage. It's, oh. It's, it's, it, it, it is based because uh, during uh, weddings, it was customary for the, uh, uh, a group, you know, a, a, a group of musicians during the mariage, the, the wedding, to come and, 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 and perform for the, for the celebration. Mm -hmm. So that goes to show that it really doesn't matter if something mm -hmm. is not originated in a given country, if, a, well, if that country, like, It's pretty cool, it, because you kicked like, the French's ass, and then you stole their music, and then you made it your own. <laughs> there so you go. You culturally... That, it's not that far back, either. It's from the 18th yeah. century. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not that far back. I was just at a wedding. Exactly. My, uh, my cousin just married uh, a Mexican guy, and they had a beautiful mariachi band there. And that woman could belt out a tune. Oh, my God. She was gorgeous. Woo! All the mariachi bands we have it. up here all play at Mexican restaurants when you're trying to eat dinner. Like, you could be having a conversation with your wife about how we're going to pay this bill, and then, like, the mariachi band will walk up, and you're like, okay, we'll smile and be happy. But what's cool is, like, much like heavy metal, they can be all decked out in black and silver and have, like, these big, huge, like, ornamental silver stuff all over their body, and it's the only time where they could wear those and actually look cool <laughs> when they're playing those guitars and stuff. It's pretty neat. Um mm -hmm. And then they just float off and go to the next table or what have you. <laughs> yeah, mariachi music is cool. What I hate, and I, I'm not ashamed to say it, is banda music. I loathe banda music. What's what's it called? Banda music is when there's too much uh, uh, metal instruments, like too much tuba. Ah, oh. Sorry, Joshua. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. He stepped say on that. his neck. Oh, poor Cutchin. <laughs> poor Cutchin. Awesome. Oh, man. Wow. Josh, I love you, but I can't stand your metal music. What? Metal? Oh, tuba. Horns. Oh, horn section. Okay. No, no, no. When, when, when he performs, you know, it's, it's great. Oh, it's different because he's your buddy. I get it. Yeah. No, no, no. no. We, we actually managed to, to watch him perform with the Dukes of Dixieland. Yeah, I saw that. At, that was uh, up on at Facebook. Steamboat, and it was, it was really a, a, a magical experience. You know, it was yeah. surreal to say, oh, my God, you know, he's, that guy is... My friend, the last time I was in Mexico, 
to briefly go back to mariachi, we were eating in this mm-hmm. chicken wing place called Diesel. And there was a mariachi band there. Not a place to eat. No, That's it was it was really, it was a good place to eat. Actually, it had really good food. You know, the beers were huge. Um, and it was the first time I had Modelo. Modelo hadn't come to America yet. It was still down there. And I was in, we were drinking Modelo beer and eating chicken wings. And they had a mariachi band that was there, but they were playing like really off the wall songs. Um, mm-hmm. And they played "Get Lucky" by Daft Punk. Now you oh, haven't oh lived until God. you've heard a, a, a mariachi plan a band play "Get Lucky" by Daft Punk. It, we're all like sitting around talking, and then we stop and we're like. Is, is that fucking, that song? Is that fucking Daft Punk? <laughs> yeah, that's Daft Punk. They're playing. They're, they're no, they're really playing Daft Punk. <laughs> so they're just way on away playing Daft Punk with a mariachi band, and it was also I, really I strange because it was mm-hmm. like I'm like, how weird is this? We're eating chicken wings in a restaurant that was very like an American inspired restaurant in Mexico yeah. with a mariachi band in a rest in a in a Mexican I mean American oriented restaurant with a mariachi band playing American music mariachi mm-hmm. style it was so bizarre it was very like inception-ish i guess i don't know how else you'd call it it was very That's weird one way to put it so yeah, well, it's globalization but i don't it's a globalization that i don't really uh mind at all you know i think what it was is there was they knew there was a bunch of americans there because we were all there from the ford plant up the road so i think they just they were just trying to like you know mm-hmm. There's a bunch of Americans in the house. Let's play some American music. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's one of those kind of deals. You know, oh, we'll your get more Spanish tips. accent is amazing. It's horrible. It's yeah. absolutely. It was horrible. a kind of like an East Los Angeles kind yeah. of yeah. like Chicano. <laughs> like, yeah. Let's get a gringo. Sounds like Cheech and Sean. Yeah, exactly. What was it? What was it? Cholo. That's what it is. Cholo. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh, oh my, my god. god. Now that we've offended so many people. Sorry, <laughs> right. you got two Latinos on here. You're this all right. Is, yeah, this is funny. This is a chance for our countries to rip on one another and hug each other at the end. It's fantastic. Yeah. So <laughs> anyways, our politicians can't seem to do oh, assholes. You know, I, I got to say one thing. I, I'm not going to go all political and I'm going to piss a lot of people off, but I thought it was really badass and incredibly funny. When your country's president or former vice president told Trump to fuck off, we're not going to pay for that wall. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, Vicente Fox, right? Yeah. yeah, I love that dude. Yeah, yeah that that was that was so goddamn funny. I couldn't believe it. He's like, "You're fucking crazy. We're not paying for the wall." <laughs> was that better? No, no. Okay, I'll just no. stop. <laughs> so, anyways, um, let's move on to at least one of the articles that you've written. You wrote an article for the Daily Grail about the thylacine and whether we should bring it back or not. Now, Lobo and myself have talked about the thylacine a few times on this show, which is the Tasmanian tiger, um, which actually, if I'm correct, was not a cat at all. It was a wolf of some kind or a canine species, no. correct? No. Close. It's uh, marsupial. Yeah, yeah marsupial. Yeah, it's marsupial. closest uh, relative is the Nika, I think its name is. Uh, it looks like, like a little, It's kind of like an anteater, yeah. Yeah. They look adorable. There's a picture of them up there. Yeah, they do. Not well. I don't know. I've never seen one with his mouth open. Of course, nobody has. But there's still there's still sightings. No one's ever seen one. No, I haven't seen one. Yeah, I know. 1947. Gotcha. I know. There's videos on on YouTube of them. I I myself have never seen a thylacine with its mouth open. It's on my top ten things list to do before I die. It's it's somewhere in that list. I haven't quite decided where in the list, but one of them is. See a thylacine with his mouth open. Never buy these Oreos again. 
Why? Because am I too whacked out on sugar? So anyway, <clears throat> so you've got this thing in here about should we bring it back or not? Um, we can. They have. They they've said that we can bring it back. Correct. They've got enough DNA. Well, they could bring something very close to it back to life. I don't know if they mm-hmm. can actually bring one back to life. They would have to splice its genes with another species to be able to do that. Um, yeah, it's the same thing that we in Jurassic Park. You know, if you re- if you read the original novel by Michael Crichton, yeah, those dinosaurs were actually had uh, a bit of frog DNA that was used to type to, to kind of like uh, fill in the gaps, mm-hmm. you know, uh, left by the the, the dinosaur genome. Mm-hmm. So, which is funny, you should say that because they just I saw an article today that scientists now say that yeah, we can bring dinosaurs back and have them as pets, which could be a very bad idea. So. <laughs> <laughs> You think? <laughs> What's funny, like, when you see Jurassic Park, you see the raptors all running around. They still do it, and the raptors didn't they didn't look anything like they're showing them in Jurassic Park. They looked more yeah. like chickens, from what I understand. No? Correct? Yes? Mm-hmm. No, Lobo? Yep. So, yeah, well, what they're saying now is that the animals that we actually see in the mu- movies of Jurassic Park are what we perceive as dinosaurs were, not what they actually were, yep. because of the broken... Um, Genome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the debate lies. If we can bring this thing back, should we or shouldn't we? I personally think if we can do this, yeah, we should bring it back. Mm. Why? Because it's not that far removed from the chain, and we killed it. Um, I could see if this thing had been extinct for a few thousand years and the Earth has moved on, the ecology has changed and so forth. Mm-hmm. But we killed this thing. And I just feel that we should bring it back. Maybe I'm weird. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm dumb. Mm-hmm. But I kind of feel like it's our responsibility. I, I'm sure the thylacine isn't going to look at us and say, "Hey, man, thanks for bringing us back. We really appreciate <laughs> it." You know, now we're gonna now we're gonna you know destroy all of your garbage and eat your food and blah blah blah. I, I'm sure they're not going to do that. But it's there's there's this part of me that says that if we destroyed that, like much like we just wiped out the the rhino, um, whichever rhino it was, yeah. you know, it's like oh, the white, yeah. yeah we as a species should know not to do these things. You know, we should, yeah. we we're at a, we're at a point now where we can look and say, you know what, maybe we should stop killing these creatures and doing this or, or wiping these things out. You know, to an extent we are doing that. We put creatures on the endangered species list and we've brought a few of them back from the endangered species list. But if it's something that has been wiped out and we can bring it back or as much of an appropriation as possible to bringing it back. Yeah, I think we should. You know, I, I just if, what's the difference between if we've already wiped out the species as opposed to something that we're about to wipe out. If we're about to wipe it out, we say, you know what, let's stop do this. Let's put this on the endangered species list. Well, yep. this one. Nope. That one's already dead. And then we so. kill it anyway. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, if we've got the common if we've got the common sense to say we should we should stop killing this thing before there's any gone. Likewise, it's like, all right, we've killed this. We can bring it back. I don't see why we shouldn't bring it back. I'm not saying let's bring dinosaurs back because that, you know, sure. Things have evolved so much since, and you don't you don't want to bring a dinosaur back and have it as a pet. However, there are a couple that I think would be pretty cool. Um, I would love to have a Dino myself, but hey, um, Flintstones. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> wow. You know what? Yeah, I, I remember watching the Flintstone when I was a kid, and always loving to say, "Oh, I would love to have a a, a, a dog sized dinosaur." To yeah. come Especially one that eats vegetables. Can... You know. How's it go? <laughs> so yeah that's what i feel we should you know I, I think we should bring it back now i know i'm gonna get slammed for this so no mm-hmm. 
Well, Lobo, you flipped out on me once when I said we should bring it back, and you said no. I think no. that's a bad idea. No, no, no. I said bringing back mastodons was a bad idea. Or okay. mammoths. I, yes, I did not say bringing back the thylacine was a bad idea. Well, why would uh -uh. bringing back a mammoth be a bad idea? We're not the ones who killed them off. They they died off from natural causes and through climate change and change in ecology. We didn't go out there and just kill them. Yeah, you got a point. I can't argue that. Well, that shuts that argument right down, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, Red Pill, what do you think? Mm -hmm. It's difficult to answer. I, on one hand, on the one hand, I, I think uh, I agree uh, with your with your logic that if if we're talking about a, a species that was recently wiped out by man. So the ecosystem in which this species lived hasn't changed that much. Yeah, that, I, I think that we owe it not so much to the species mm. itself, but to, to the ecosystem to bring back this important link to the whole uh, change of life, right? Because... If you say, okay, we remove the thylacine out of the equation, uh, how did that affect the ecosystem in the whole island of Tasmania? You know, maybe it, it changed dramatically. We don't, we don't really know. You know, we can't really ascertain these things well, right now. You have what happened in Yellowstone National Park where they brought the wolves back. And when they brought mm -hmm. the wolves back, it had dramatic consequences and a lot of people say all for the better yeah they brought all the rivers the back and it brought mm -hmm. a lot of wildlife back because it brought back the reset the ecosystem to what it was before with having the deer in certain yeah. areas and all that yeah you know so. you know i i remember reading an, uh, an article i wish i had uh, i had read that article before i wrote that piece about the thylacine for the daily grail about mm -hmm. this experiment that they carried out in um What's the name of this uh, country? I think it was Holland mm -hmm. in, in Europe, right? So they were trying to create uh, a new kind of like w wildlife reservation, uh, kind of close to one of their major cities, uh, kind of like bringing down, uh, letting uh, ho uh, wild horses and deer and wild cattle to stay there and populate, you know, and create this, like, na natural uh, reservation. The problem they're, they're, they're seeing now is that most of the animals end up dying out of sheer starvation. There's just not enough uh, food, vegetation, trees there to, to feed uh, the population of animals that, uh, that, that breathe like crazy during the spring, and mm -hmm. then, you know, they, 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 they starve to death during the winter. And one problem is because they actually don't have natural predators in this uh, reservation they're trying to, to, to create. You know, there, there, are not there are no wolves, there are no bears to, cool, to call uh, the, the herds of animals, right? They can't have them because apparently it's, it's, too, it's too small. Or maybe it's too close to 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 
to populated areas anyway. So you see that and you see that uh, it's kind of difficult to try to create the, this, this balance. I remember actually reading some years ago, some people who were discussing the idea of trying to recreate the wild fauna of the Pleistocene in the United States by, by bringing um, uh, either African or Asian elephants, you know, to the United States mainland in order to try to, to mimic the kind of like uh, eco ecosystem that there was like 12, 15,000 years ago when you have mastodons and mammoths and whatnot. See, I don't know if that's the, safe, though, because you don't have... You, it's not just the mammoths and the... Like, going back to what me and Lobo were talking about, yeah. he's right, because we yeah. the, the predators and the prey balance and nature doesn't work the same way it did back then to be able to put exactly. these here. Yeah, so, exactly. whereas with the thylacine, things haven't changed that much from when the thylacine was here. Now, what yeah. I am curious about... Here's the thing. This might be the wrench in the works. Say we mm -hmm. do go and we do recreate the thylacine, or we create a very close proximity, close enough. Proximity. Which, yeah, yeah, exactly. Now we put. Now we've recreated these things. We. I don't think. Can we just introduce them back to the wild? Because now you're talking about. You know, do you have genetic survival codes and things like that that are implanted in these creatures? And if you're creating the creature from scratch, is it going to have that natural? The natural, yeah, but instincts. you're not creating it. You're not recreating it from scratch. Yeah, but are those instincts the same instincts, the kind of instincts that it had to survive, and skills that it had to survive? Since we're since we're essentially kind of recreating it, is that stuff going to carry over to be able to just re-release it into the wild? Dolly sheep knew it was a thing. sheep. What was it? Okay, one at a time. What now? What's <laughs> go go ahead, Red Pill. You first. Oh, thank you. Sorry. Uh, no, it's, it's okay. It's difficult. It's difficult to ascertain because we. There's a lot we don't know of what in animal in animals it's uh, what we think it's instinct, you know, like something yeah. that is I don't know imprinted in the animal, like yeah, I don't know their DNA or whatnot. Yeah, is instinct uh, genetic? Uh, uh, you can't really answer that. Yeah, uh, how much is actually being taught by you know the other members of their group? You know, things that you know are taught by by their the the, the parents. The parents to the offspring you know i mean we kind of i i think that we still carry these 19th century or 8 18th century enlightenment idea that animals are kind of like uh, organic automatons right that they they are they're like biological robots that they can carry on on their own they have like their imprinted instructions yeah, programming on them because we are the ones that we do learn from experience and from lessons from our, our, our elders right we are the ones who who also build tools to you know change the shape of our world but now we learn more and more that animals can build tools of their own right you know you you see uh, how Apes like chimpanzees and orangutans, they can create like sticks and they can create spears and other kind of tools. And even dolphins, you know, dolphins that are so uh, removed from the, the human uh, lineage, you know, the primate lineage, they can also create tools, tools uh, with their snouts using uh, sponges, you know, 
from they, that, 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 that they uh, gather from coral reefs or whatnot, and they can use that for a variety of reasons. But anyway, the point is that it's difficult to know. I mean, I mean what is the plan actually to just release two or three uh, genetically engineered thylacines into, into the wild and see what happens? or to try to create a, a population of, I don't know, 100 or 200, and after 50 years or so, to slowly try to introduce them to uh, uninhabited, uninhabited areas and try to see what's going on there. Probably that's the best goal. See, I don't that's know, though. I, if it were me, if I were to do it, me being non-scientific, okay. not having gone to school and having no clue what the hell I'm talking about whatsoever, we'll state that up. Now that we got that out of the way. Yes. Um, I know Tyler is listening to this right now, rolling his eyes. <laughs> Hi, Tyler. Uh, Tyler Coke John. But anyways, <laughs> if it were me and I had to armchair geneticists do this, I would say, well, let's breed a pack and then put them in an a enclosed similar environment. Uh, mm -hmm. to what they're nor normally used to living in. Um, mm -hmm. Introduce whatever they would prey on, rabbits, whatever they would eat. So they develop the hunting mm -hmm. instinct or whatever, and then slowly grow the population. I, I would keep them into some kind of a, not, not I guess, zoo-like structure, but uh, more a little bit more open as much as possible um, yeah. to simulate the environment that they were naturally in, and then slowly reintroduce them. I don't know if I would do it over a span of 50 years, however, because then you run too much the risk of domestication at that point. Yeah, but exactly. I know. See, go ahead. I have a feeling what you're going to say. Go ahead. Okay. See, now I'm going to take two animals in specifically that are <laughs> going to throw a monkey wrench into both these thought processes. I know. You have the be. cat. Yes. And you have the pig. Yes. I knew you would say pig. Cat is both an excellent animals, choice, though. Both animals are domesticated well cats shit all over us but for the most part yeah they are domesticated animals and pigs will eat when us. <laughs> they get out or they're released they almost immediately revert back to feral behavior yeah yeah the yeah. cat stays relatively normal they still look like a cat the pig on yeah. the other hand does not they'll yeah. convert hair to a boar within a coarser. generation it gets razors back in its mouth the front end of the male starts to muscle up. Yeah, they go back to wild. It, not even within generational gaps. A an, a pig that has been kept domesticated, once let go, immediately starts to revert back to its primal state. Yeah, and almost, that includes almost, physical changes. Yeah, almost like so, the idea of human beings. You know, if if, if they go back into the forest, they revert back to something like, you know, Bigfoot, right? I think it might take a little longer than, <laughs> than a pig. But, yes, I agree. But it, this is why it the, the, the genetic code that they're using is from uh, fetal, uh, fetal tissue that Correct, is yes. in really good shape i mean they originally had them in alcohol they've since found another source that was yeah. not kept in that particular medium mm -hmm. and the genetic markers to its closest living relative which i misspoke it's not a nikot it's it's called a numbat it has the same mm -hmm. striping it looks like a tiny version of yeah he's got a picture of one on the article 
So mm-hmm. it they're not it's not like what Crichton's story was doing with in Jurassic Park. And and when you when you first asked, you know, would this animal know what it's supposed to do? And I said, Dolly knew it was a sheep. Dolly was a clone. She was taken and she was a complete oh, sure. clone. She knew she was a sheep. There was no question about that. She acted like a sheep. She bleated like a sheep. She was a sheep. So she's she knew what she was the minute she was born. The genetic code that's being used by theoretically what they're going to be using for this. I, I don't see the numbat has a particular set of skills and they only need a small amount of genetic material to be able to stitch that together. CRISPR's made a lot of things possible that were not possible five five years ago, let alone ten years ago. So yeah. if you have a, an animal that's already wild in the wild, mm-hmm. that's going to be used if you if you set up the area where these animals are harbored to be able to grow without a whole lot of human interaction, they're going to start acting like wild animals. You know, you're going to have to bring, give them some form of food source, but if you put them out in an area that is close to their natural habitat, and we know what their natural habitat is because the last one died in 1947, so it was not even a generation ago that we killed these things. Yeah, that's what I was saying. That's, but, uh, it's still soon enough to where we could save them and put them back out there without too much um, harm to the environment. You know, it's not that here's, far removed. Uh, here's two things, uh, well, or maybe one thing. Uh, when you were talking about uh, Dolly uh, knowing, knowing that she was a sheep, it, rem- it reminded me of an experiment they performed uh, with uh, male and female sheep very young, and they were like mixing them with goats, mm-hmm. and then the, the 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 male sheep as they grew older, they they you know well they tried to mate with the goats. Now, when, when the, the the scientists when when these animals uh, grew older, they like turned them back to a, a herd of only sheep, and sure enough, the female sheep had no problem in trying to mate with male sheep, but the male sheep who were uh, trying to mate or copulate with the goats, they couldn't revert to, to, to trying to copulate with, with, with sheep. They got imprinted. Mm. They were only horny toward female goats. Was that why you were laughing? I heard you laughing. No, well, <laughs> I guess. I guess I was, I was thinking about and, 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 and another thing. You were thinking is, about goat sex. It's okay. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> wow. Another thing I, wow. I, I remember is this idea of, okay, if you, if, if you leave an animal in the wild, you know, it will turn feral and it will try to cope with its present situation. Sometimes that's not the case, you know. I, I, I remember the sad story of this uh, orca whale that was the basis for this the the, 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 the famous movie Free Willy. It was a, 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 a whale that was kept in captivity here in Mexico. It was Keiko. Mm-hmm. So when the movie you know became a blockbuster and there was this outcry or, or this popular support to try to release this animal, and they did so, but the animal never managed to to adapt. He was uh, Ke- poor Keiko was never managed never managed to integrate to another group of, of, of orca whales because these animals you know they live together for pro- pro- possibly 
more than a hundred years or so. So they don't readily accept like out, outcasts. So poor Keiko was the last time they saw saw it or they saw him. He was uh, following the trail of uh, shipping boats. You know, like mm-hmm. this animal became in a way kind of like a mutant. Wasn't yeah. able to return back to its uh, whale life. It, be- it was almost like it was, this was a whale that forgot it was a whale, you know, uh, that was uh, felt more comfortable dealing with humans. Yeah, but you're also, so, you're also looking at an instance where there was something that was kept in an aquarium yeah. and had to have its food brought to it. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, when they are integrating animals, like the the perfect example are the wolves on the reserves. Yeah. They are allowed to be in an area that is alongside where their natural habitat would be. Yeah. So the integration isn't as drastic yeah. as like they try to have as little human contact as possible. We are we ruin everything. We're horrible. We're viruses. We ruin everything. So by allowing these animals to be able to have a closer interaction with their natural environment, like if you're if if you were to take that's the way I'm talking the, about doing the killer it. whale, right? If you were to take your example of the killer whale, unless that tank was put alongside the ocean, there's not going to be, you know, yeah. its normal diet swimming in yeah. and out. You can have rabbits and marmots and all kinds of stuff going in and out of where the wolf reserve is. So these pups that were never had interaction with humans while their adult parents did are being taught how to hunt the actual prey by parents that were initially fed, you know, a dead carcass was left for them. Mm-hmm. And, so, and something that we've just uh, we've touched a couple of times in this conversation uh, that is important to bring up is this whole idea of how much interaction with humans these uh, newly integrated animals will have. And herein, herein lies, I think, the biggest problem of all. That, okay, you want to bring back thylacine, you want to bring back, I don't know, the mastodon or the, or, or the mammal. Do you want to bring back... Well, let's stay with know, the rhino, because the rhino was fairly, okay. fairly recent. Sure. You know, that's, sure. that's when we're, we can, yeah. cause that's when we could, we could save that one pretty quickly with okay, rhinos you, that already but, existence. Sure. But you bring back the rhino, but you haven't solved the reason why that rhino became extinct in the first place. Yeah. You got to remove the what people. What you said, we, there's exactly, there's mm-hmm. a whole lot of people in this planet. You want to bring back all these animals. You need them to cool the population of the species that, uh, brought them to extinction mm-hmm. see that's why i think tasmania is the perfect it would be a perfect testing ground because there are very few people living during the colonial times when it was for them what the colonial time for them to be able to go in and do the mass call that they did was in the yeah. late 1800s yeah. so it wasn't that long ago since then the population of tasmania has dropped drastically in the areas where the the uh thylacine would be naturally mm-hmm. which is I mean, it's perfect it's untouched land in the last 75 years yeah where there's nobody and there's more than enough prey animals there for them 
Yeah, you know, another untouched uh, area, on the, the, a place where humans are readily trying to avoid uh, Chernobyl. Oh, yeah, dude. There's some and you also see this revival of, of, <laughs> of fauna. You know, oh, that's yeah. almost like saying, yeah, I mean, sure, those wolves are probably, you know, yeah, but, irradiated or something. But they're you know? thriving. I mean, you, yeah, that's what's so strange. Great. Plus, there's new thriving. life. There's new forms yeah. of life that are spawning there as well. There's that there's that algae that they found inside that, that eats radiation, you know. Um, there's plants that are, that are, that are beginning. It's like, it's like you see in like the old role-playing games and the comic books and stuff, like the mutants in the, after the nuclear war, the mutants come in and how, how things have yeah. changed. And Chernobyl's kind of this, 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 in, in some ways a happy accident because we get to actually watch what would happen if something that would, you know, if something like that yeah. did take place. You take the humans out and, and stuff goes back to normal. Well, <laughs> as normal as it can for that, you know, because... Yeah, the animals there so are. Everybody's very, like, "Oh, the different. world's gonna end. The world's gonna end." No, human beings will die out, and the planet will be fine. Yeah, the world is. Yeah, here. that's why <laughs> I I love Interstellar so much. You know, I mean, Josh and I have had this discussion numerous times on where did the world go. But one of the things I love about that movie is the idea that yeah, the planet is going to uh, make us realize in no uncertain terms. That we're not wanted anymore. That we have to go. Yeah, it'll go. It'll go on without us. You know, the shake us off. We're ever welcome. <laughs> we are a virus. Yeah, absolutely. The mm-hmm. difference is, I mean, we're we're beginning now. I see. I want to say we're beginning now to realize that, but part of me no, says we're no, not. we're not. <laughs> well, it depends. No, you know, it depends which part of the world you're in and stuff, and the attitudes that go along with it. It's, I don't know. You know, I mean, we're, we're ruiners. We, well, yes, absolutely. We, we do. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, yeah, I would like to see if, if there's a way we can bring these things back. And if we can do it, I think I think we owe it to whatever nature, whatever's out there or whatever. However you want to look, at, I think we owe it to something to do to bring these back if we can. Going back. What a little about bit, go ahead. what about bringing back the Neanderthal? No, because again, much like Lobo said, we didn't kill the Neanderthal. Well, maybe we did. Oh, we don't know that. <laughs> we don't know that. Well, there's enough that. of there's enough of their genome left in uh, trace amounts in our own bloodstreams to say that sure, we're probably we not we killed them with all. a lot of them. You know, yep. before before killing their parents. Ugh. <laughs> What what are what are we gonna do with we we have a hard time accepting each other Dude, as a, human beings. There's a lot of Neanderthals walking around right like, now. That's what I'm thinking. Like we bring Trust Neanderthals me. back. I mean, like me and you, we're, we're joking with you between you know the differences between Mexico and the United States, but realistically, we really can't get along with anybody. We we can't get along with ourselves. And now you want to bring Neanderthals back into the picture? It's gonna be like oh Something great. Something that's possibly faster, stronger, and from recent developments may have actually been more intelligent as a, than us in certain things. Why do I go to so, Unfrozen yeah. Caveman Lawyer from Saturday Night Live? God. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I like to think of this uh, time, like maybe 50,000 years ago, when, when this planet was kind of like Tolkien's Middle Earth, right? When you have the hobbits and you have the dwarves and you have the men and the elves, it will be the same with Homo sapiens and the Denisovans and the Homo floresiensis and the Neanderthals, you know? Heidelbergensis. 
yeah, and, uh, exactly. And many others we probably never will discover. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wow. Have you, uh, wow. Uh, by the way, have you ever heard of uh, Boss Cups Man? The what? Boss Cups Man. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I have. It's uh, B-O-S-K-O. Hold on. Hold on. Let me, let me do a Google search on this. Let me check the book of knowledge. B-O-S-K-O-P. Yep, I see it. Boss Cup Man. Okay. Yeah. So this is interesting. This is something oh, it's, that it's a huge almost head. kind of like, yeah, it's yeah. Got almost kind of like a, a hint of Mac Tonius's idea of the crypto terrestrial, because apparently this was uh, a very obscure archaeological, anthropological find. I think it was in South Africa of this hominy that was very ancient, but... Nonsense. Uh, this is the star child. That's what this is. Yeah. <laughs> it had really very modern features, apparently more a more uh, enlarged uh, cranium, which, you know, probably that means, you know, a bigger brain and, and possibly mm -hmm. a bigger intelligence. So the idea that, yeah, kind of like if we go with the idea that Homo sapiens is the humans in the Tolkien universe, these, these were probably the elves. Hmm. Lobo, are you, you know, saying this? Maybe, Did you Google this? No. Google Hold it. On. It's pretty... Uh, it's cool. You know, I actually asked... B-O-S-K-O-P uh, space man. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, if you're listening to this, you know, guys, on, on your computer or something, or your phone, you know... Yeah, everybody go on Google, and Google it, this. It, it's, it's kind of, yeah. And you will immediately see where the star child skull came from. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what it looks like. Yeah. <clears throat> So let me ask, because I've never heard of this. Are there still are there genetic remnants in our in our genome from this from these guys, or was this a what one off? I, or I think this is a one of the. I think this is one of kind of like uh, the the type of out of place artifacts that are found, and then nobody pursues pursues the the research, and then it's forgotten. You know, you mm -hmm. ask. Um, I bet you can ask any. You know. Anthropologists like in a university. You yeah, that's what I was thinking. About, it looks hydrocephalic. Yeah, about this, and probably ninety percent of them have never heard of it. Well, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the skeptical, rational wiki and see what they say. Uh, oh. Homo campensis was a an alleged and discredited group of hominids <clears> thought to date from ten thousand years ago, named the Boscop, South Africa. They were thought to have remarkably large brains and childlike features and were all super evolved geniuses. Well, I don't know where, okay. With an IQ of 150. Okay. You can tell that well, by looking at the skull, yeah. uh, compared yeah. to the nose picking crawl magnets. That's is exactly what it says. Unfortunately, they turned out to be figment of anthropologists imaginations based on completely spurious speculation from a tiny number of several biased samples. The term boss cop man is no longer even used in anthropologists. Uh, yeah. That's what Busy Myers answered, told me when I asked him during one of the Paradigm Symposiums. Uh, the extraordinary claim. In autumn of 1913, two farmers in Boscop, South Africa, found a humanoid skull fragments while digging a drainage ditch they bought. They brought to find to Frederick W. Fitzsimmons of Port Elizabeth Museum. The skull came to the attention of paleontologist S.H. Hunt, uh, Houghton, 
who reported the score was at least uh, 1,832 cc, 25% larger than the typical normal modern-day humans. Scottish scientist Robert Broom got the very remarkable figure of 1,980 uh, cc. It was suggested that the large Boscop skull was an aberration caused by uh, hydrocephalus. I can't pronounce that word, but I know what the hell it is. Hydro what? Hydrocephalia, yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, okay, we'll, we'll go with that. Water in the brain. Water um, in the brain, yeah. yeah. And some other these. However, the skull had a face taking up one-fifth of the cranium size, comparable to the Cro-Magnon child, not the one-third of the cranium taken by the adult Cro-Magnon face. The nose, cheeks, and jaw were all childlike. Nearly a century after the find, claim Boscop race was brought back to public attention in neuroscient neuroscientist Gary Lynch, blah, 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 a bunch of other names, 2008 book Big Brain, and a 2009 Discovery article reprinted with excerpt from the book. Really, I can read. Lynch and Granger start from the 25% bigger brain, extrapolate that there was there was a neuroscience knowledge, and spend two-thirds of the excerpt in fanciful exploration concerning the life of the Boscop. So, yeah, Rational Wiki says it's all bonk. <laughs> yeah, but remember what the skeptics said the first time that um, Homo floresiensis, you know, the hobbits mm -hmm. that were found in the island of Flores, uh, was discovered, you know, they, they said, no, 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 this is not a new species of hominid, this is actually some kind of like uh, uh, malformed or, or a sick uh, member of, you know, uh, I think it was a, a Java man. So they were trying to find reasons to doubt the discovery, well, to try to, to bring it down, but, you know, the scientists who made the discovery prevailed, you know, so now it is established. Homo fluorescensis, despite its small size, was a distinct, uh, different species of hominid. So we always tend to find these kind of uh, rejections to these, uh, you know, what seems to be exotic or outrageous or even heretical ideas like, yeah, no, Man did not come to the Americas before, you know, the establishment of the uh, land bridge on the Bering Strait, you know, which wa ha happened, I don't know, 15,000 years ago. And any discovery that's, that seems to indicate a human presence in the America prior to that date, well, you know, it's, you know, hoax or it's something that people, you know, uh, uh, misidentified or whatever, but that paradigm has slowly but surely been uh, debunked. You know, you find uh, evidence that people were uh, hunting uh, giant sloths. Yeah, that's Brazil. so cool. I don't know like, how I yeah, want to go up against a giant sloth, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, how how dangerous were? Maybe they were like you know bears, but very slow bears. You know, like. <laughs> I don't know. Very, very easy to count down. I don't know. But yeah, th there is this idea that also the idea that in the Amazons, you only found uh, primitive tribes of hunter-gatherers, but no evidence of actually sophisticated civilizations. But hey, guess what? We're finding evidence of really big 
highly developed cities. Yeah, they just didn't just they just find some out. a couple of a couple of weeks ago I read an article that they found some yeah. evidence of a big city somewhere in America that was ancient. Um mm-hmm. and they found it oh god, I can't believe I remember this. It was something to do with satellite and infrared tracking or something like that. You could yep. see the outline of where the city originally once was. Which I don't have a problem with the idea that that there was sophisticated societies in the Americas long before the Europeans came over. And and by sophisticated societies, I don't mean they had iPads or anything like that, but I think that they were more sophisticated than, you know, simple hunting with spears and stuff like that. I mean, they probably had a good understanding to to be able to make a city. You would have to have an understanding of agriculture, farming, um, to have a city. You would have to be able to have the thing to support it. Yeah, we'd, we that's the problem there's, because... There's the, an example of Gobekli Tepe, which right now, I, I guess the idea is that these were these uh, temple, these temples were made by hunter-gatherers. So the idea that first you need to uh, invent agriculture and then you invent the city, mm-hmm. it's being put into question. Yeah, but to have a city of that size, you would have to be able to have the infrastructure and agriculture to be able to support it. You'd have to be able to, to have a city. You have to have a way to be able to feed those people. You have to be able to have a way mm-hmm. to get things in there. Um, yeah, anytime you have a large idea, gathering yeah. of people, you have to have a way to be able to support that large gathering of people. Yeah. You have Unless to you have live a, in Detroit. Yeah. Lobo, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Because I didn't hear anything from you for a while. Just listening. <clears throat> um, so it's this idea that we've had cultures in America long before people got here. Because you had the Native Americans and stuff, which is everybody's mm-hmm. known about. You know, it's kind of funny you should say that. I was out yard sailing today with the wife, and I went by this one, and they had a map of America. But it had the map of America listing all of the um, all of the cult, all of the Native tribes throughout the uh, entire cool. country. You know, what tribes were where located in America, up into Canada, and to some extent down into down into the uh, to the Mexican area as well. Yeah. And it got me to thinking, I'm like, man, it's like we thought, you know, you, you just you don't think of America until Columbus gets here, you know, and that's exactly, you know, it's not there was so much more before that. But there's so much lost history and stuff that goes along mm-hmm. with that. And yeah. to get that history is hard. And that's what I'm wondering about. It's like, what what was America like before before it became America? You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. that's, that's one of my favorite subjects, the idea that. Um, the city of Teotihuacan, which is not that far away from Mexico City, which is where I live, was already an ancient ruin by the time the, the Aztecs, you know, started to settle in the central valley of Mexico. So these guys who are nomads are walking these grand ruins and they are totally marveled by them and say, no way this could be built by simple mortals. That's why they gave them the name of Teotihuacan, which means the place where men became gods. And that's actually not really the name that the inhabitants of Teotihuacan gave to their city. We don't know the name of the city, that the original name of the city. This is like, you know, uh, someone finding the remnants of New York City like 500 years in the in the future I, uh, and giving it a totally different name. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's fascinating to me. 
How how much of that ancient history stuff do you actually investigate into? Is that is that one of your things that you're really interested in? I'm interested in it. I mean, uh, obviously, here in Mexico, when you go to school, uh, you know, grade school and and, and, and uh, high school and that and all of that, you are taught this kind of stuff in history in history class. Was definitely my favorite uh, topic when uh, in Mexican history after after the colony, it kind of like became boring to me, you know, but. Mm -hmm. Before, before the conquest of Mexico, that's when I felt it was the juicy stuff, and also the fact that when I was young, I was fortunate enough to come across this very, very interesting book that was co-written by two authors. One of them was Pedro Ferriz, uh, who was like the father of Mexican ufology, right? It mm -hmm. was like our J. Allen Hanek. In fact, he was a friend of J. Allen Hanek, and with Allen Hanek, the, he managed to organize the first ever international UFO, in, UFO conference in Acapulco in 1977, if I'm not mistaken, 78 maybe. So, so this was one guy who wrote the book, and the other was a French guy uh, who was a, a, a French uh, expat who to, to came to Mexico, you know, and, and, and uh, married a Mexican woman, established a family. The and name they started of this mariachi music. <laughs> exactly. Oh the name of this guy was... Yeah, I brought it back uh, around, yeah. <laughs> the name of this guy was Christian Ciruguet, or Ciruguet. And the, the, the title of this book is uh, UFOs and Mexican Archaeology, Los OVNIs y la Arqueología de México. It's a really great book. I actually had to try to find the second copy after I destroyed my first one from rereading it so many times. And Siruguet's uh, argument was that, you know, it was kind of like an ancient aliens type of, you know, theory about these ancient sites. You know, the idea that this uh, pyramids are capable of uh, generating energy. Oh boy, you know, here so we go. <laughs> something that he was actually trying to to study and try to re register, you know, using you know equipment like a voltmeter with a battery, and finding that sometimes you know they were there and the the battery is finding uh, is working fine, and then all of a the sudden they work a few meters, and then boom, the battery is completely drained. No explanation for it, you know? So what are we saying with this? Like you said, it's not like, like I'm saying, yeah, you know, during the type of these uh, <laughs> cultures, they have flying saucers and they have uh, high technology. No, maybe they had th th these, uh, maybe these uh, constructions, these pyramids are some kind of like energy generating machines, but not machines in the way that we think of them. Because this is something that I actually wrote about a long time ago in a defunct uh, website. I should try to uh, repost it on my own website. The idea that when we think of energy, like the, the, the standard definition that of energy in, in, in uh school's book is energy is the capacity to for work and that is our western 
uh, 20th century conception of energy. That if you have energy, it's, it's something that you are going to apply in order to do work with it. If you create steam, it's because you are going to use a steam in order to run a, a, a locomotive engine or something like that. If you have, uh, you know, in, and combustion uh, energy, you're going to use that in order to run a car. You have electricity, you're going to use that in order to I was going to say, uh, you have the Baghdad battery. You know, that was an, exactly. you know, an instance of, Think about of, I don't want to say, well, it wasn't cutting, it was bleeding edge technology way before its time. Sure, but, but, but the, the application of technology may vary from culture to culture, right? I mean, it's we always assume that people in ancient times were pursuing our same goals. Like, if we have energy, what we want to use the energy for is order, is order to bring more comfort and luxury into our lives, right? It's, it's, it's the, always the argument of the skeptics. So, okay, you know, if this, there were this high civilization, how come they don't have, we don't find a 50,000-year-old micro, microwave oven? But it's, a, it's such a stupid argument because, okay, maybe the ancients weren't pursuing a microwave oven, but maybe they were requiring great amounts of energy for a totally different purpose than we, you know, be, will be able to even consider or dream of. That maybe the, all these uh, megalithic sites that are aligned to the so-called ley lines in countries like Great Britain and China and all that, they were there and put there in, for a purpose that we here in modern times don't can't really consider that. Maybe just for, I, I don't know, maybe they are there to ac accumulate uh, telluric energy in order to be used for really important magical ceremonies. You know, that were important for the civilizations who erected them. But now, uh, nowadays, you know, they are totally meaningless for us. The same way that if our civilization collapses, maybe they find something like, I don't know, an Xbox player, you know, mm -hmm. and they say, what the hell is this, you know? And they, since they don't know what it is, you know, okay, it's, a, it's kind of like a ritual ceremony item. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, they're not really wrong. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> uh, all right, Red Pill, we've had you on here for uh, about an hour now, so um, this is usually we uh, let go of people. But before sure. I do, um, give everybody a chance where to find you if they want to read more about you. Uh, you are the sometime co-host of uh, Where Did the Road Go, of course, so people can find you on there. But uh, for your writings and things like that, where can people find you at? Well, the, the, the best place they can start is uh, on the Daily Grail. www.dailygrail.com is uh, the place where, you know, I guess I became the, the Red Pill junkie. Greg Taylor gave me the, the opportunity to become one of the, the news administrators and one of the writers. I've always wanted where... to get those guys on here. I've always wanted to, to get, you know, because they've always been this big source of, of strange news for the longest time. Oh, yeah, for sure. I've always yeah. wanted to be like, hey, I man, mean, for... come on the show and talk about how you got into this and stuff you cover. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I cut you off. I was just yeah, thinking out Greg, loud. Yeah. 
Greg Taylor is an institution, and the problem is that he's kind of shy and reserved, and you know, devoted to his family. Family, so he doesn't really like to go into the, the podcast circuit, if you will. Mm-hmm. And the other way, the other way you can also find me is, I guess, uh, on Mysterious Universe. I'm definitely not as prolific as someone like Nick Redfern. I mean, nobody's as prolific as Nick, but you know, maybe. Uh, yeah. You, you can find a couple of articles written by me uh, on uh, any given month or so. And also, I, I, I also have my own website, uh, absurdbydesign.com. It's kind of like, I don't know, my blog or my, I don't know, it's my, like my central hub where I can put stuff there that you won't find either on Mysterious Universe or the Daily Grail for, I don't know, any reason, no, no particular reason whatsoever, and also there there are links to uh, stuff that I try to sell online. I have a I have a a Zazzle online store where I am trying to to uh, sell uh, T-shirts. that I try to uh, use fortean uh, themes, you know, in a, in a cool way. And I'm trying to find a way if I can if I can make fortean uh, Topics like UFOs and Mothman, and are making make them as cool or as popular as you know what now things like Captain America or geek super superhero culture is right now. You know, mm-hmm. twenty years ago, people wouldn't you know only you know devoted fans would wear a Captain America T-shirt. You know, and now anybody anybody does. I'm trying to do that with uh, our stuff. You know, with our so say culture. you are you are a pretty prolific artist. You did the uh, cover for one of uh, you did it defies language. Did you cover did you do the cover of that book? Yeah, I did that. I also did the cover for UFOs reframing the debate, and also did the cover for a book that is. Uh, I hope that is about to be released. A is for Adamski. Yeah, we're. I'm anxiously awaiting that one. I keep. Yeah. I keep bugging greatly behind the scenes. I'm like, when are you guys gonna get done with this book? <laughs> Man, this these guys, this uh, Gorightly is like, what is this? Like he's a. Uh, uh, how was the name of his uh, movie? He's like no contrarian. No, it's a. Uh, Do not engage. Well, anyway, this guy. This, yeah, these guys, uh, they are not maybe as prolific as Nick, but yeah, mm-hmm. definitely Ace for Damsky is going to be a really, really interesting book. It's, it's a, like a recopilation or encyclopedia of uh, contactees, you know, these guys who claim to be in contact with our space brothers in the 50s and 60s and such, which to me is... That's the such funnest time for ufology. I... I, I... Yeah, I love sure. reading about that period. Um, when I was I was on a show a couple of nights ago with somebody else, and I was talking about like people having encounters with hot Venusians and the the, the extraterrestrials. Nowadays, you just have the gray or whatever. I know I'm going to get beat up exactly. for that, you know. <laughs> but yes, I know there's more than that. Yeah. But back then, it was like you had rock monsters, you had Nordics, you had Venusians, you had blob creatures, you had you know lobster monsters and and humanoids and things like that. You know, the the sky was the limit, literally, for what you could encounter back in those days, and the stories were farcical and fun. Um, of yep. course, very few of them that I actually believe, but they they were just it was just a much funner time to read about UFOs and and you know that's like the the flying silver saucers and everybody had silver spacesuits and stuff like that. 
You know, mm-hmm. it's just a much funner age. And I'm very much waiting for that to come out. That's the stuff that I want to go back to. It would, it would mm-hmm. be great if I, you know, had an encounter with a hot Venusian landing and saying, you know, you must help us repopulate the planet. Oh, for sure. You know? With aura rains, man, from the planet Clarion. Yeah. I'm sorry Way I'm married, but, you know, this planet needs me, honey. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> the fate of the universe. The fate of the universe is my hands alone. Yeah, you know, they need me. I'm sorry. You're shot. <laughs> oh, don't tell me. Well, yeah. You might do. I don't know. You might not do it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Discordianism is what, what yes, I was trying to. Yes, that's what it was. Yes. Remember. Yeah. yeah. Adam O'Reilly is kind of like <clears throat> the, one of the head Discordians Correct. right now. Yeah, we've had him on here to talk about that before. But um, all right, we're mm-hmm. going to let you go. But do me a favor and hang on the line for one second after we stop recording. And um, sure. thanks for coming on here, Red Pill. It's been great to talk to you and finally get thanks, you Red on the Pill. show. You know, it's... Oh, it's a total blast, guys. I, I hope uh, I get a chance to um, get back. Well, if not, you, you will. Yeah, you will. <laughs> if not, you run into it. You, you run into no us question. all the time on other shows and stuff. So, you know, sure. yeah, I, I, I don't see a problem with doing this again sometime. We need to do a, a word of the road go kind of roundtable at some point or another. I need to get Josh on here with you so you can beat up about um, brass music and, you know, horns and stuff, <laughs> you know. Jesus. Because I'm sure he's, I'm, I'm sure I'll edit that out of the show, and he's not going to hear any of this. I'm, I'm sure he won't hear it, so I'm not worried about that. Even though I might let him know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Jesus, well, throw red pill under the bus. Good job, bro. <laughs> All right, man. You take care. Nice talking to you. Well, gracias. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. Hey, uh, I'm Alex. And I'm John. And we host a show called John and Alex Hate Stuff. We named the show because... He's John and I'm Alex, and we hate stuff. That stuff? Movies. Yeah, movies. So if you want to hear two people kind of make fun of movies and actually more often than not end up liking them, listen to John and Alex Hate Stuff, available on iTunes and Stitcher and all that stuff. So yeah, we talk about all sorts of weird shit, like we did the first Batman movie, Fifth Element. Southland Tales, Mother, The Royal Tenenbaums. The sequel to The Royal Tenenbaums, Suicide Squad. The sequel to Suicide Squad, Speed Racer. And the sequel to Speed Racer, Boss Baby. You'll have to listen to find out what the hell we're talking about and if any of that is true. So, yeah, listen to John and Alex Hate Stuff. Alex over two X's. Uh, you can find us on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are found. Check it out. I'm trying to use the phone! Hello, this is Liza Britton. I've reached the Project Archivist voicemail. Thank you for changing your message. It's a pleasure to know you've gotten off your butt. This is just to call you and say hi. If I want to reach Lobo Matthias, I have his cell phone. If I want to reach Rojan, well, look at that. I have. Kudos, kids. It's Liza. Bye. This is all your friends. All your friends. All your friends. All of your friends calling you. Calling you. Calling you. We're all calling you. Calling you. I tell you we hate 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 you. And you owe us some money. You owe us some money. Yeah, you owe me 10 bucks. Yeah, you owe me 12 dollars. You owe us 12 dollars. You owe us some money. And 
This is Dave calling from Buffalo, and I just want to let everyone know that my hovercraft is full of eels. There, there you have it. So that was one of the mm. phone calls that we got. We we Lobo put a post up in Facebook. What did you say? Call us or something like that? And I said that this said, will call virtually... us now. Yeah, and we had the show number because we never get phone calls to the show. Almost never. Hmm. And I said that virtually guarantees that nobody's going to call and leave a message. And sure shit, uh, people called. But I'm not going to run all of them in this episode. I'm going to run them over the next span of a couple episodes. And at this point, people will start calling now just, just to make the job harder, <laughs> which Good. is fine. Keep calling. Yes, do keep calling. We love hearing from people. Um, big thank you again to our Patreons because we just had to renew all of our Skype stuff. And yes, Skype is a free program, yep. but we have to pay an extra fee to be able to host phone calls and host multiple calls and do certain mm -hmm. things. And that's probably one of our biggest bills of the year. So we just had to cover that. Thank you again to our uh, to our Patreon people for continuously giving. There was a few new ones out there as well. Thanks, cool. yo. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, next week we're planning on doing a ramble cast with a large amount of stupidity, <laughs> stupidity, and off the wall links. Um, what else? I was just recently on Almost Educational with Eric talking about UFO. Uh, cultural manipulation for lack of a better term a terrible show too uh, really i didn't think i did that no, bad. dude it was good I, and, I enjoyed it thoroughly which was weird because like patrick got a hold of because patrick doesn't live very far from either one of us and he's like hey is there any chance that eric will come on the show with you and we can talk about this and i said yeah he probably will so i let eric know and eric was like yeah let's do this blah blah and then we jumped on like the next night or the next night after that with really no context as to what we were going to cover so every bit of of government manipulation with UFO culture all comes everything that I know comes from reading Greg Bishop's books and watching the Mirage Men movie, which mm. I haven't seen in quite a while and reading It Defies Language and uh, Project Beta, I believe it is. So I had that stuff in, in the back of my brain. So when we're on the air, I'm furiously digging through my brain trying to recall all of this stuff. I guess I guess I did a fairly decent job after the show was over with it. Me and Eric were talking off the air, and he goes, man, for a guy who is not really into this stuff, you've sure got your facts down pretty well. Because <laughs> you know how to read. Well, I, what I told him was is that yeah, we know this stuff, but we don't cover it because we know it. You know, we we do the show to try to put different stuff out there and try to learn about stuff that we're interested in and talk about stuff that we're interested in because not to sound facetious, but we know a lot of that stuff. You know, me and you have seen mm -hmm. a lot of that junk. And then I got to the realization that we're going to be coming up on episode 300 here pretty soon, a lot quicker than I thought we were. Mm -hmm. um, yep. We're over the 250 hill at this point. So I think by the end of this year, we're going to hit episode 300. And it just seems like like a couple of months ago that we did episode 200. Everybody called in and congratulated us. And I'm looking at that going, my God, everything is just going so much faster now. <laughs> they say the older you get, the quicker time goes. I thought they were lying. I, I guess so. I guess so. And me having just turned 46, as this week was my birthday. Yeah, that's right. Happy birthday, old fuck. Yeah, yeah. As I go out and buy a, a old man's motorcycle and everything now. Yeah, I'm 46 now, so I'm over the hill of going Perfect. to over the hill. You just got a fucking gold wing now. I did. I did. I bought a gold <laughs> wing. 
Which, if uh, anybody out there does not familiar with motorcycles, like I've been riding motorcycles for a little while now. They, it is a heavy bike. It is a beast of a bike. It's a 1980. It's it's a good bike. It's a decent bike. It runs okay. It's, it's the like lead going from sled of motorcycles. It's like going from a Ford Fiesta to a big, huge camper RV vehicle. Like that. That's the only way I compare it. This oh, yeah. thing is a land shark beast. It is a heavy, heavy machine. It scares the hell out of me just because how heavy it is. I'm all like, well, you know, old men ride these bikes. It can't be that bad. Like me scooting this thing back. I'm like, (gasps) scoot it back, scoot it back. And then if I put my foot down, there's rocks there. I just about tip over because the bike's so heavy. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm going to die riding this thing. It's just, I think I may have bitten off a little bit more I could chew with this motorcycle. (laughs) You get it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm getting it, but it's not like like the BMW motorcycle I had was no. like more comfortable for riding around town. This is made to like, okay, we're gonna get on the freeway and ride to Iowa. Let's go. You know, <laughs> it's it's not, yeah, that's not gonna happen. Not really made for going across the street or down the street to work or going. Well, actually, I, I have gone grocery shopping with it because it has ample storage for luggage and stuff. So I have done some grocery shopping with it already. Amazingly, cool. <laughs> so, anyways, um, yeah, I'm still babbling because I'm on a sugar high. Mm. And as we're in the interview, I keep cramming these damn kettle corn Oreos down my throat. You dope. Have not touched another cherry one, though. Not enjoying the No, cherry. dude. I'll, I won't even give those to the squirrels. My kids will eat them, but I won't <laughs> give them to the squirrels. So overall takeaway from the Oreo consumption, I would say go with the kettle corn. You sound like you really enjoy the pina colada Dude, the pina colada is awesome. Okay, go with the pina colada. If you see the birthday cake ones, do t- do eat those. Absolutely. Yep. I would I would say I would Dude, say if you can find cake. the blueberry pie ones, they're amazing. I have yet to see. I saw them and then they're gone. I saw the apple pie ones, but those I are awesome too. I haven't seen them as late either. So. So, yeah, we have, um, as always, food and drink is always important to us. Mm-hmm. And when something new comes out, we must try it. And we have. And uh, yep. I give the kettle corn ones the Project Archimist, uh Archimist. God. Yeah, I'm yeah. done. I'm done. I'm fucking done. <laughs> <laughs> Project wow. Archivist seal of approval. Hmm. Well, good. <sighs> I, I like the pina colada. So take that for whatever it's worth. Yeah, I can't say. So um, are we done? Is there anybody else we have to? Uh, I know we're missing somebody, but. I Lily. Can't remember. Well, we, yeah, Lily. Thanks, Lily, Lily Yabo. Thanks, Lily. <laughs> That's not a real name, but. No. <laughs> the amount of Australians and people from all over the place great. that now listen to this show is amazing. <laughs> yeah, right? We got, we got a strange group, but it's cool. We have our group. We, we do. We really do have our group. I should play. Hold on. I'm gonna, oh, here I'm we go. I'm going to edit this down here. Hold on here. I got to see if I can find this. I'm going <laughs> to edit this down. Um, Let me. Okay. Hold on a minute here. Hold on. Hey, wise guy. Happy fucking birthday, you fucking dusty fuck. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> he, he goes on like he's, that. He goes on like that for about 20 minutes. And I'm not going to play the rest of it because it involves butt sex and, and all kinds of other vulgar things. And it wasn't just one message. It was like one, two, three, four, five, possibly six messages of that. Nice. <laughs> I'm at work and my nice. phone goes off and I press play and I'm like trying to shut it off because people are looking at me. Anyways. <laughs> you going to be all right? Yeah, I'm good. I'm all right. I'm all right. All right. Okay. So... I just dropped a fan on me as we were talking. Nice. (laughs) Wow, you're a wreck. I'm so wet. I don't sugar. We're done.
Um, we're good. This is Rojan. <laughs> Peace out from Detroit. This is Lobo from Connecticut. Steer clear of manatees. <sighs> I'm going to take another month off. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Peace, folks. Dickbag. <laughs>